Well, you know, Sharon, it's it's been about a year now, and uh, I know you and your family are going to form a walk to honor your, your granddaughter, Emma Kate. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about the organization that, that helped get through some of this for you guys? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It's called Halos of the St. Croix Valley, and it is an organization that helps families struggling with the loss of a child from miscarriage all the way up to 20 years of age. And this walkathon is to raise money for this organization. It's a 501c3, and the only way that they survive is on donations. And this is the largest fundraiser that they have every year. So we're going to put a link in the show notes. A lot of our listeners donated to this last year whenever we walked in memory of Emma Kay. And I'd appreciate it if you would donate again if you find it within your heart to do so this organization is fantastic they came in they took care of everything and when you lose a child you don't know what to do and you're just frozen and they came in and took care of everything and the other thing about this organization most of the volunteers that they have are all people who have suffered from child loss yeah so We'll put the link in the show notes, and if anybody would like to donate, we would certainly appreciate it. We have a goal, of course, and we were the number one raising walk team last year and would like to do that again. So I appreciate you mentioning it, Jeremy. Absolutely. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, welcome back to the States. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. Whirlwind travel schedule you had, huh? Oh, my goodness. We ate and drank our way through Italy. <laughs> I've got a little roll around my midline I've got to get rid of now. Oh, well, let's see. You started out at the IFNA meeting. Right. Well, we started out in Dubrovnik three or four days before Tracy Kassman met up with Pierce and I. And we started out in Dubrovnik and did all these tours. You know, Game of Thrones work yeah, was filmed yeah. there. So we did all of that, and then we had a private driver to drive us the four hours to Shibanek. Mm. And then we did a bunch of little tours along the way. Um, Great. And then after we did Shibanek, we also went to Split with Richie Flowers from oh, yeah. Wake from Forest. Yeah. yeah, he joined us. And then after the meeting was over, then Jackie Rolls, Tracy, myself, Pierce, um, went to Venice for three days, and then we nice. all split off after that. Tracy went to see her friends, her her family actually in Bari, hmm. and stayed a week there. Jackie met her husband and her daughter. Then they went to Positano. So then we met Aaron Foley and Deborah Diaz in Florence. Wow! Stayed with them a few days, and then we made our way south. Met up with Jackie and Postano, and then we landed in Rome at the end. So all in all, we were gone about three and a half weeks. Wow! Wow! That that's awesome. Yeah, it makes a little pay. bit of work and a little bit of vacation. Hey, I mean, I, well, good. you know, I didn't even pull out my iPad the whole time. Wow. Now that is a freeing experience. I was I was shocked that I was able to do it. Yeah, I, I, the only time I've been able to do it was when we spent about a month in Ireland. It I took me a little that. over two weeks, but I finally settled in, and then you know you I, were I didn't okay check for in the last as two. much. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I talked to you, but that yeah. was yeah. that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, welcome back, and you just got in yesterday, and here we are in the studio today. Yes. Wow. We sure are. With two of our favorite guests. Oh, and this topic is one that we've been skirting around for quite a while. Oh, yeah. This is exciting. So this is going to be a continuation of our historical series mm-hmm. with Nancy Marie and Sandy Ouellette. Welcome, guys, to Good the to studio. Good to be here. Been so sorry. While. So sorry I Glad missed Croatia. Oh. You know, out of that was the 14th World Congress, I think. For is that the summit. only one you've missed? No, I've missed two. Ah. Um, and uh, so I didn't get to Scotland. Okay. And I didn't get to Croatia, but I've been to all the others. Yes. And uh, I hope to get to the next one. I know it'll be about four, it'll be four years from now or three years now, probably. Yeah. But they're, they're making bids on it, I think. Right. And um, Jackie told us it was Australia. Sweden. Uh, Sweden. Japan wants hmm. to put in a bid. How about Indonesia? Indonesia. Yeah. Bali. Is that right? Is oh, that wow. Where, is yeah. Bali in Indonesia? No, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, well, Bali it, is, but I mean, it's in yeah, that area, yeah. Yeah, well, they were saying Bali. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? Maybe I get to go on that one. Uh, I know. I, I'm just glad I didn't go. I mean, there's been craziness going on in my world for the last few weeks, but, uh, you know, uh, but everything works out for a reason. So yeah. maybe the next time. Well, I missed you, but we yeah. are going to be taping a couple of the re- some really good speakers that I heard while we were there. And I mean some really good stuff. So you guys stay tuned. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about Catherine Lawrence. I wonder if our listeners know who that is. Well, I hope so now after they've heard her name mentioned. But we want to make her name more commonplace within our organization. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Catherine in a little more detail today. And she's she's best known to 
nurse anesthetist as the first nurse to administer anesthesia during the second Battle of Bull Run during the American Civil War. And in her autobiography, we got kind of a sketch of this really remarkable woman who not only was a nurse, but also she was a teacher, Mm -hmm. she was a missionary, um, and a temperance lecturer. Now, what's that, Jeremy? You tell me, Sharon. Oh, I will tell you, because I read some of her autobiography while I was in Positano. Um, Temperance was somebody who was against slavery. Right, what what leads into the next part, Mm -hmm. right? So she was bitterly an opponent of slavery. Um, and later embraced about abolition. Oh, golly, Sharon, I can't talk to that. <laughs> Women's suffrage. That's wow. what you. What that? you still don't believe we ought to have the right to vote? Is that why you can't get that? The out? abolishment of <laughs> women's suffrage. No, I do believe that for sure. Um, so, Sandy, Nancy, please tell us more today about Catherine Lawrence and and really what she meant to not only nursing, but nurse anesthetists. Sandy, we'll let you kick it off. Okay, I'll start off. If you look through most history books, you will not find very much on Catherine Lawrence. Uh, we say over and over again, she was the first uh, uh, nurse, nurse, not nurse anesthetist, but nurse of record to administer anesthesia during the Civil War, which she called the War of the Great Rebellion, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but at any rate, um, a friend, Randy Cornelius, I think all of you here mm-hmm. know Randy. Um, he's very interested in history, too, particularly military history and particularly history of, um, of Army nurse anesthetists. But he let me know that there was an autobiography on Catherine Lawrence. And so we purchased that from um, Amazon. And that gives you a glimpse into really the life, the personality, the DNA, really, if you want to put it that way, of this remarkable woman that really accomplished so much in her life. She was not shy. No, she and was I'll not. Tell you, um, but the book has, has 21 chapters, and it's 235 pages long. And uh, for those with a real um, interest in history, uh, you may want to, to look into this. But I found that Catherine Lawrence was born in Shohara, uh, which is Shohara County, New York. Her father was Stephen Lawrence, and her mother was Maria Lawrence. The couple had seven children, and Catherine uh, was the youngest. Her mother was 45 years old when Catherine was born, and uh, both of her parents died within a year of each other. Uh, when Catherine was only about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she pretty much was left orphaned at that time. Now, they called her Kitty, not Catherine. And she had a real talent for getting into trouble as a child. <laughs> well, all of her siblings were older, much older, so they weren't around anymore. And she didn't have anybody to play with except this cat. She loved this mm-hmm. cat that she had. And... um she would often run away and have the whole village looking for her. And um, her mother would dress her up in these uh, uh, beautiful little dresses for girls in which she would immediately go out into mud puddles and try to catch butterflies and get all messed up there. Um, and as I said, she had uh, no playmates uh, being the youngest of the children, but could always amuse herself. By mm-hmm. staying in trouble. <laughs> um, and having the whole village looking for yeah. her when she would disappear. And I said seven children. Here I've got a note of 12 children. I'll have to double check that and see. It but it was a 
a lot of children in that family. <laughs> but, but, she, but she she was the youngest. Um, no electricity certainly lends to a lot of children. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, she she had a special place that she had to go to when she was punished. Uh, we would call it time out, I guess, today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she spent a lot of time there. She called it her jailhouse. <laughs> it, okay. it was a, a little stairway room that had nothing in it but a stool. And it got to the point that when she misbehaved, she would just go there herself. So she, she would put herself <laughs> in the jailhouse. She she's bad. <laughs> and and uh, so like, there she was. Sounds like what I do when I'm in trouble. You oh, know? you just and, go to your jailhouse. <laughs> and so her mother was running out of patience with Kitty. Her father, that was apparently the apple of his eye. Mm-hmm. He just he just really thought she was special. And he, he tried to think of something to keep her out of trouble. So he really started educating her very early before she could really get into any formal education system. And, and that was good because both parents died when she was young. And, um, and she did have some education. So Nancy, they talk about how she lost faith oh, yeah. during her this, childhood. This is cute. Okay. So when she was young, uh, Catherine was very religious. But she questioned everything, which... Mm. If you read her autobiography, you will see she did this throughout her entire life. Uh, she became distrust, distrustful when she found out there was no Santa Claus. Didn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I can identify with There's that. No There's no Santa Claus. No. Are you okay, Jeremy? Oh. <laughs> and so she asked her mother uh, about Santa Claus, and, of course, her mother had to tell her the truth. And so Catherine said... I don't suppose there's any God either. Oh, Lord. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, one of the things that she said in her book that related to this thing of asking her mother about Santa Claus was, she said, what we want and what we need is more real life and more real truth in our lives. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyway, but she proudly throughout her life claimed to be a descendant of Captain Lawrence, who was very famous during the War of 1812, and he was the one who said, don't give up the ship. Mm -hmm. And so she said this throughout her life, don't give up the ship. At the age of 12, she decided she would be a missionary, but that would not happen until later in her life. And again, as Sandy said, uh, she lost her mother and father at a very early age, and she was left homeless. And so a friend asked if she would like to teach school. Now, keep in mind, at this point in time, she was 14. Before that, between 11 and 14, she did sewing for people to make some money so that because she was still, she was living alone. She wasn't living with anybody. Uh, So her friend asked her when she was 14 if she would like to uh, teach school. And Catherine questioned this because of her age, and their friend said, well, you are large enough Evidently, she was, she was larger. She was big for yeah. her age. Tall. Yeah. Uh, so, and they won't ask you your age, she told her. And so uh, she did uh, take the examinations to teach, and she received her certificate, and she became a teacher. And she opened her, school, her first day at school with a passage from the New Testament and a prayer. But somewhere close to where she lived, up on a mountain, there was this group of people that were shunned by everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they were uh, intermarried, you know, just really shunned by everybody. And they, everyone was afraid of them, and she was warned not to go up there. But I guess her missionary part of her made her want to go, so she went. And they were very friendly to her. And so she started a school called the Sabbath School for them. And um, she later got involved in the temperance movement. She was very, very, very against alcohol. As you read, oh in yeah, the, book. the rum was, yeah. rum runners they called them. Uh-huh. And she later attended a congressional church uh, where temperance and slavery were preached against as the greatest evils of the present day. Uh, she was a good member of that church, and she learned the lessons well. And again, as you see throughout her life, her life comes back to um, anti-slavery, anti-alcohol, and being a missionary even Mm -hmm. in this country but going back to the sabbath school when she went back to really start teaching it was really interesting because it was called slaughter hill is where this school was and there were tons lots of people there and they were aged from five to 50 years of age Mm. who wanted to go to her school wow so she starts teaching at the age of 14. 14 Can you imagine that? Wow. I mean, that's something. I want, I don't think it, we, in her book, it says how tall she is, but uh-huh. there is mention of her being tall or hmm. big for big age, for which age. big, yeah. at one point she gets sick. I remember mm-hmm. reading something about that and she gets down to 110 pounds hmm. and that was very skinny for her. So she must have been it's pretty skinny tall. for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> These days, just yes. saying, you know, even a third grader. You guys have to anesthetize people. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was about a third grader's weight now. You know, and I don't think Nancy. Uh, did you mention that she claimed throughout her life that she was a descendant of Captain Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Don't give and up said the ship. words to her arrow that he stated in the War of eighteen twelve. Don't give up the ship. Yeah, she she says that a lot. Throughout her book, when it, she's in a tight spot, she would say, don't give up the ship. So she hmm. remained a teacher from the time she is 14 years old, because she's on her own, mm-hmm. no parents. So what happens, Sandy, whenever the war of the rebellion or the Civil War comes to be? What yeah. happens? Well, as I said, she called it the War of the Rebellion. And uh, the best I could tell, nurses didn't administer anesthesia until the civil war well anesthesia hadn't been around that's very right. long that's i mean right. for god's sake <laughs> they right. were cutting off people's legs with just them biting a, a bullet bit that, that's and, true uh, that's it. a bottle of liquor right that's yes it. and um so um so she enlisted as an army nurse in 1861 and entered city hospital in new york to receive training such as bandaging and caring for the wounded she already was well versed in the diseases of the day, and there was there was a lot of them. You know, we lost many many soldiers because of injuries, but many because of uh, communicable diseases yes. uh, during that day. And remember, the the great pandemic was somewhere. Well, it, it no. came a little bit later, around yeah, around nine, the time of nineteen eighteen something 19, like that. Nineteen eighteen. You but, remember um, Linda Williams' grandfather died right during. Um, 1918 Spanish flu. So yeah, both of both of Ben's grandparents died. And really, mm. I didn't his, know that. Yeah. He left all of his his father and um, all of his sibling orphans. 
So his Ben's father grew up in an orphanage, and all of his sisters did too. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. So there were there were many diseases that they had no control Small over during pox. the day. Yeah, measles, all sorts of things. But Dorothea Dix was in charge of army nurses. Huh. Now all army nurses, really? all army nurses. Yeah. And to me, that resonates well because as a student nurse, I did my psychiatric training at Dorothea Dix Hospital in Raleigh. And you know, Pierce's mom had to have been working there whenever he was there because she worked there 33 years. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, and of course, that's all closed now. They took, they closed mm-hmm. all of our mental institutions, which I'm beginning to think they need to open them all back up. <laughs> I was going to say, don't um, we need to build a- more? A- a- ASAP. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, Catherine Lawrence administered anesthesia at the Second Battle of Bull Run in 1862, so that is documented. While she was the first recorded nurse to administer anesthesia, remember it was Sister Mary Bernard or Mary Bernard Sheridan, some people say, was the first nurse anesthetist. That was in the early 1900s. And by then, uh, nurses were getting a more formal education in anesthesia. And so she's the first nurse anesthetist. But Catherine administered chloroform to Union soldiers on the battlefield. You know, let me know as you read this book, Sharon. I found only one sentence mm-hmm. in the autobiography mm-hmm. that states she administered anesthesia or she administered chloroform. The whole book, which is, you know, so many chapters and it's two hundred over 200 pages, only one sentence does she talk about administering anesthesia. Hmm. Uh, but besides administering anesthesia, she performed other life-saving interventions, on soldiers such as suturing and tying arteries, giving resuscitation meds of the day, herbals like ginger. You know, and ether was big during those days here, so why chloroform? Well, during the Civil War, it was the anesthetic of choice because it was easily inhaled, acted quickly, and was believed to be more efficient than ether. It was reported that 80,000 operations were performed during the Civil War, of which only 254 were done without some kind of anesthesia. Hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's some good statistics to have as well. But I think it's amazing that, you know, she stands in history as the first nurse to administer anesthesia in her own autobiography. One, One sentence. sentence. Wow. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Well, whenever I was reading this, I was sitting on the beach at Postano. And so Jackie came down and Sandy and I were talking about this before you walked in here, Jeremy, because she clearly had 
the nurse anesthetist uh, oh, mentality. personality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I read this to Jackie while we were out there. Now, I had to do a little research. I had totally forgotten that Dorothea Dix was in charge of all nurses during the Civil War. Well, Dorothea Dix comes to talk to Miss Lawrence, and she says... Uh, because Miss Lawrence had sent her resignation to Dorothea Dix, oh. right? And she says, uh, Dorothea Dix says, but Miss Lawrence, you can do no such thing. You are altogether in my charge. Please, Miss Dorothea Dix, let me see your credential. <laughs> wow. And Miss Dix says, that is not necessary. I have the power to retain you or discharge you. But, Miss Dorothea Dix, I have already resigned. You came to Fortress Monroe and took me away where I was doing good work and where the sick needed me, but you heeded no entreaty from doctors nor patients. I came with you to Baltimore. You left me without a ward or even a place to stay. You had the best of recommendations for me from distinguished doctors and clergymen. And why you should treat me in such an inconsiderate term, I cannot conceive. All I ask is to serve my country in the capacity of a nurse. You gave me no reason for taking me from Fortress Monroe and placing me where I was almost useless only to be persecuted. And now, Miss Sticks, you must relinquish the idea of retaining me as one of your nurses. God bless you and goodbye <laughs> wow wow well wow. i guess she had the last word i guess she did i mean well, i don't even know how you come back to that you know? to the nurse in charge of all nurses in the civil war wow. is that not a nurse anesthetist? i think she said some ugly words in there without saying them you know so. <laughs> wow yep all right so nancy what happened in the battle of bull run well um uh, the first Battle of Bull Run was also known as the Battle of Manassas because it was around Manassas, Virginia, where all this happened, mm. was the first major battle of the Civil War. And it was fought July 21, 1861, in Prince Williams County, Virginia, as I just mentioned. And that was located just 30 miles southwest of, of uh, D.C. And the Confederacy won the first Battle of Bull Run. Now, one thing I just want to interject here is I remember reading in history that, and I can't imagine this, but people would, like, come out of, like, Washington or other places and, like, sit out. And watch? And watch them, watch these battles like it was, like, a, I guess, entertainment. Well, hey, I, I was just at the Coliseum in Rome last oh, no. week. I mean, must be. Didn't have much to do back then. <laughs> human dna to watch this stuff but Catherine lawrence administered anesthesia on the battlefield during the second battle of bull run which was fought august 28th through 30th 1862 and the confederate deaths were 9,000, but it was a decisive victory for the rebels and that's what she called us rebels rebels we were from the, the south, south. And we oh, were, okay yeah we were um in her autobiography Ms. Lawrence wrote, I rejoice that the time has arrived that our American nurses are being trained for positions so important. A skilled nurse is as important as a skilled physician. Life has too often been sacrificed by both professions. And she said this after the second battle hmm. of Bull Run because there were other nurses that were also very involved in 
taking care of these soldiers. And it was, I mean, just reading, you have to read in that book all the stuff that she went through because she would come into these places and it would be such a a wreck. And she really would go to the higher ups and get them to give her permission to go and find cots and cooking utensils and things like that to give these poor people nursing care was just hygiene yeah Mm -hmm. and cleaning and everything i mean she was unbelievable to be honest with well i mean and they were in filth and she She kept waiting and they would be laying on the floor in filth yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and she kept waiting because she was supposed to get a furlough or kind of r&r I don't think she ever did. I don't think so either. Not Mm. as far as I have read. So we've talked a little bit about the Civil War, but what happened for her after the war, Sandy? Okay, uh, she cared for three orphan girls after the war. The two older girls, Diana Aries was 12 when she was adopted, and Sarah, they called her Sally, and Aries, age 10, when adopted. And they were put in various homes and facilities in the North after the war for education. And these girls would have to work and clean and do whatever for their education, but they did that. The youngest was Fanny. She was only three years old when adopted. And uh, so Catherine um, cared for her and taught her until she was old enough for formal education. Now, what happened to these kids' uh, parents? Um, both of their parents had, had died, and they were left with a grandmother in the South. She also died. The father had freed 123 slaves before his death, and a faithful slave, Ben, promised to get the girls across Union lines, which he did. So she took these children. She saw that they were educated, and she saw that they were raised. And, you know, she must have had sort of a soft spot in her heart having been sort of orphaned herself Mm -hmm. at such a young age, um, and she didn't have it easy. The two older girls died young, and the youngest married someone Miss Lawrence did not think suitable, and I bet she told her to. I bet she did. It it was a hard life and um, for her, and you never heard any more about her um, in her autobiography after her marriage. She traveled lots after the war. Uh, That needed vacation. Uh, that she always talked about, but she never did get, uh, with family and friends, and mostly in in the North and in the New England area. One friend took her to meet her sister one day, and that sister was Harriet Beecher Stowe. Oh, how cool is that? Um, I haven't gotten that far. Right. Remember, uh, she's the one who wrote many, many novels, Mm -hmm. probably Mm 30-plus, but the most favorite was... um, or the most popular was Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. remember? Oh, I yes. think that was about 1852 or something like that that she wrote that. Uh, but Catherine gave lectures, attending many ser- uh, church services, and um, and she was a tireless worker for the women's uh, suffrage movement. She was not a fading violet. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much it took to be outspoken for a female in that day? You couldn't even vote, but yet she was... Uh, against slavery and the parts that I read everywhere she went she went they would ask her to speak and sometimes it, she it would just be on the fly and but she evidently was a remarkable speaker oh yeah she was so she stayed busy you know even after the war uh, as she traveled that she never got to do when she was working as a nurse 
Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So Nancy, how would we summarize her life? She accomplished a lot, and I'm glad that we're having this opportunity to do a podcast on her because she's kind of been like a hidden figure in within our community. We spoke of her, but we didn't give her a name. Mm-hmm. So tell us some more about her and how we would summarize her life. Well, from a very early age, Catherine Lawrence really devoted her life to the relief of suffering of others. And I think one of the beginnings was when she started that suffrage school for the people that lived around her Mm -hmm. that nobody would have anything to do with, and they were totally uneducated. But the other thing that she did was she uh, was very religious, and um, when people who had been slaves would come north, she would find out that the only way that they were married was that their massa, master, had just asked if they... Oh, that's do you right. love do that. do you love blah blah yes do you love blah blah well they were married oh. and so she told him they really weren't married what and is so it like hand fast they wanted to be what they used to call it in the old days oh, you really? held hands you go yeah. i love you you love me now we're married oh, kind of like kindergarten you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we won't go into how many times you've been hand fast so, well fun. anyway she took a lot of them and had them married the northern way mm-hmm. uh-huh. which was to have a minister marry them huh. and um because and she did a lot of of missionary work as she worked hard trying to keep these people alive. But she was very religious, as I said. And uh, she once said, we can always find someone to encourage as by word or deed. And she did a lot of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Uh, She stated, when I take a view of the past from my childhood up to the present, my life has been one continued scene of excitement. I've frequently been told that I was too much outspoken. Really? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, sounds familiar. And, and made enemies. Oh. <laughs> she, she was often said when at the time I worked for the temperance reform, I'm apt to call things by their right name. Oh, Lord. I have no wish to become popular through deceit. And one thing I remember in I that like book that <laughs> is there was a physician, and I can't remember the whole story, but... He often was extremely angry with her. Oh, that's right. I do remember. But then when he was dying, he sent for her. Hmm. And he was so glad to see her. And she stayed there with him until he passed away. But, Hmm. I mean, I think she was one of these people that, yeah, she, she had a mind of her own. She spoke what she believed. But... Even though she made people angry, I think there was a whole lot of respect for her. Well, you know, it sounds kind of similar. The day I found out that I had won the election for AANA president, I had an anesthesiologist wife that I put to sleep by request. Huh. Wow. That day. Mm-hmm. Wow. So things haven't really changed that much. So, Sandy, tell us about 
her final resting place. Okay, she, uh, Catherine passed away on September 24th, 1904. She was 84 years old at that time. She uh, was buried in the Old Fort Cemetery in Shohara, New York. Uh, the marker was placed by the Governor George Pataki of New York. Uh, and from what I can tell, the marker's missing. I tried huh. to Google it, and it showed what it used to be, but now it's not there. Huh. Unless they've replaced it. Wow. And the marker read, quote, Civil War Nurse Catherine Lawrence, 1820-1904. Civil War Nurse, Teacher, Missionary, and Temperance Lecturer, born in Shohari. And I think you just Googled that. That's a small little place, isn't it? Yes. Now it still only has about 950 oh, really? population. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's pretty. Imagine what it was like back then. I know, right? Hmm. Huh. Well, as we kind of close this up, does anybody any closing thoughts about uh, Catherine? I think that one of the things that stands out to me as a program director mm-hmm. for all those years and all those interview committee meetings and what you're looking for in addition to academics and clinical experience, you're also trying to look beyond that and, and what is the DNA of this person? What are they like? You know, with that stating it we all know what it is we can't really describe it but we always we all know what that personality has to be Grit. To, to, to work in the OR and be that patient advocate and stand up not to Dorothea Dix but to the surgeons and people <laughs> uh, of the day I mean you got to hold your own and to me this was really personifies that person she had she was a nurse mm-hmm. administering anesthesia but this was her personality. She would have made a great nurse anesthetist, I That's think. Right hmm. They're a challenge, too. What you look for to be that person that will be that patient advocate when they can't do it themselves are a challenge through school. Oh, often. Yes. Oh, really? I sat in mm-hmm. your your office <laughs> a couple right. of times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, I'd be in the Carpenter Library, and then you didn't have cell phones, so you just got page, <laughs> overhead page. You had a call, and then I'd pick it up, and it'd be the secretary going, uh, program director Sandy Marie wants to see you in her office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I'd just crawl right Ooh. on over for my <laughs> ass whooping. <laughs> but, you know, it just it just... To me, that stands out. Mm-hmm. You've got to have that special something. Hard to define, but we all know no, what it is exactly. when we see it. It's like, mm. what is it? Um, you can't define porn. You just know it when you see it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, Nancy. Well, you know, I agree with everything Sandy said. But also, I think part of being an advocate for patients is compassion. And although you really... A lot of her courage and her feistiness that stands out. But when you look back at the Civil War, many of these soldiers were 17, 18, 19 years old. They weren't mm-hmm. your normal age of soldiers. They were boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she called them boys. And several of them in the book that she took care of were so homesick, they would ask her, can I call you mother? Oh, oh, yes, wow. I remember. And wow. she always let them call her mother. Mm. And and so there was that side of her. I mean, she really cared deeply for these boys that she was taking care of. And, um, and she really fought for them and fought for them to have 
decent um, care and and decent places to live. Like, you know, she went to to battle when they when all those people were boys were in those all those tents and they had to go so far to get water and go through almost a river to get anywhere and she went way up in the military to get barracks for them i mean she Mm. wasn't afraid to go around the people that supposedly she uh, answered to i mean she she spoke truth to power yeah, mm. I mean, well, she would go to them. She didn't, like, go around them. But when they said no, if it meant something to her, yeah, she went on with it. Yep. And so you have to admire this lady. Well, let's see. She died in, what What did you <clears throat> say, 1904? Uh-huh. So she was working for women's suffrage, but yet it didn't happen till what, 1921, 22? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. she didn't even live to see it happen. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at Dorothea Dix as a student... They didn't keep you? No. (laughs) (laughs) But me and some girls decided to do some things, and we got in trouble, and they called the psychiatrist from Sproul Building, which is where they kept the sociopaths, to lecture us about how we had done things wrong and we shouldn't do that ever again so i'm sure oh, wow. I would have, they would have called dorothea dix if it had been in her day. well you know they say her ghost still walks around out there oh well that was great you know sandy nancy thank you for for bringing this to us and to our listeners as always you guys do such a wonderful job and we want to thank you for being on the show today thank You're you certainly welcome good to be back it is it's fun well sharon I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. As we all know, there's way too much negativity in this world. Absolutely. Tell all your friends. Share it on social media. We're in the top 50 medical podcast in the country on the way to number. Well, you know what? I'm going to change it up today. <gasps> oh, Did my you God. know? We are the number one podcast in the CRNA community. Oh, my goodness. Well, so we're number one. By far. We're number one. By far. Yeah, we're getting ready to hit a million downloads. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. But we thank our listeners because without them, we couldn't do this. Absolutely not. Somebody's got to listen to us. Of course, I did uh, get a lot of people to start downloading. You know, we don't get credit unless they download it onto right. their phone because some people will not download it they'll just, they'll just listen, listen to it on yeah. the website and we don't get credit for that yeah tracking podcasts is a murky world but yes it is we've learned a lot yes so. we have all right sharon welcome back and until next time it's a wrap Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. 
That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call them at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.